My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Well, good morning. This is Lane Jones, pastor of Caucus Baptist Church, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. As we come to the end of 2023, I can think of no better subject for us to consider this morning than the Christian's command to love his neighbor. Now, I know that many of you are probably saying it at this point, well, Pastor Lane, I already know the Bible command, I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Well, that may be true enough. But let me just remind you of a couple things. Number one, that knowing the truth and practicing it are two vastly different things. And in fact, that's the purpose of knowing the truth is so that we're able to practice it. And I would just encourage you to listen, even though you know that commandment, because you know sometimes we don't realize where we're violating it or when we can actually work at practicing this command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, second thing I'd like you to think about is that sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics to get back to practicing them. I remember watching an NBA game years ago when San Antonio Spurs were one of the top teams in the NBA, and it was a, a regular season game right toward the end of the game. It was close. I forget the, the team the Spurs were playing, but I believe the Spurs were behind by a point or two with a guy at the free throw line from the other team. At that time, the Spurs had two of the greatest big men to ever play the game. Both of these guys would be Hall of Famers. David Robinson, who was seven foot one, and Tim Duncan, who was six foot eleven. And these guys are standing across from each other with the best positions for the rebound of this free throw. Now again, there's not a lot of times when the free throws are missed in the NBA depending on the player, but He's at the line, and so the, the strategy at this point is pretty basic, and that is if he misses, the Spurs got to get the rebound, call timeout, and hopefully have a chance to win the game at the end. What I found amazing was the free throw, in fact, was missed, and yet there was a man on the opposing team who simply got inside one of the two big guys and out-hustled him for the ball, and that play, as I recall, sealed the victory for the opposing team. Now, as I'm watching the replay of this, I was really quite surprised that these tremendous basketball players, and they're Hall of Famers, evidently just assumed that they would get the rebound, wouldn't need to really work for it, and forgot a fundamental concept in basketball, and that is not to let someone who's behind you get around you so he can get the rebound in your place. It's called boxing out. This is a fundamental concept in basketball, one that these guys knew far better than I would know it, and yet they just simply failed to practice it. So sometimes we do need to be reminded of the reality of the basics in order to rethink and, and make sure that we're truly following them. So now if you're just t- tuning into this broadcast for several months now, we've been studying the most detailed book of the Bible and laying out the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, and that's the book of Romans. It would also be helpful if you're just tuning in to know that the book of Romans divides into two major sections, the doctrinal section, chapters 1 to 11, and then the practical section that we're in now, chapters 12 through the end of the book, chapter 16. Now, we're in that practical section, and in this part of the book, God tells us how to live our lives as Christians in light of these powerful truths. So, okay, we've got these different doctrines of the faith. Well, what does that mean? How do I live that out? And so what we saw when we got to chapter 12, which a major theme statement for this section is verses 1 and 2, which is the beginning of this practical section where the Apostle Paul wrote under inspiration, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the first thing we're seeing is that, hey, I need to give my life back to God. I need to be like a living sacrifice doing whatever he wants me to do, not what I want to do. And then the next verse says, and do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So living a life of total commitment to Christ is what we're called to do after our salvation as Christians. And what does that life look like? How does that work? Well, the first thing we saw in a couple of weeks back was that we're to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us for his glory and for the benefit of Christ's church. And that was chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. There's a whole list of spiritual gifts there. Let me just say this. Those are really to be exercised chiefly in the context of the local assembly. And those of you that are not going faithfully to church, if you're physically able to do so, now many of you may not be able to be there, but if you're able to, to go to a Bible preaching church, you really need to do that, because that's where you can exercise the gifts that God has given you. And you say, well, I don't think God gave me any. The reality is he did. He says that everyone has received a gift after salvation, something that you can do be a blessing to the body of Christ. And so you can look that passage over if you want, chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, but the reality is where you're really going to have those opportunities to exercise those spiritual gifts are chiefly going to be within the church context. And then there's also, we're called to walk in Christ's love in a very dark world. That takes us to the end of chapter 12. And then when we got to chapter 13, we began to look at three simple commands that are found in this chapter. The first one is to be in submission to the authorities which God has placed over you. And that was the first seven verses. We're told then to be in submission to the authorities that God has placed over us, whether it be a principal at school, your parents as a child, the boss at work, the township supervisor or the president, your Supreme Court, unless they're asking us to do something that is against, clearly against what God has said, we need to follow and be respectful and obey those who are in authority over us. Now we come to a second major command in this chapter this morning, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. So let me read the the three verses we're going to discuss. It says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled. For the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the commandment starts out with this idea, owe no man anything but to love one another. So there's a lot to think about in that. So I had to answer a couple questions in my mind over both parts of this command. The first one let's talk about is this a commandment against all borrowing? Is it always wrong to borrow? He says, no, owe no man anything. Well, let me give you some teachings on this issue of borrowing. There are times when I believe that borrowing is legitimate, and I'll give you some uh, scripture references and examples. First of all, in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 14, there's actually a command if you borrow an animal. And so let's say you don't have an ox to plow your field in the ancient world, and and your neighbor does, and so you actually borrow it from him, probably going to pay him something for it, something along that line, but it would be allowed to borrow. Let's say you had a brother or a brother-in-law, and he's got an ox and you didn't have it. There's It's not biblically forbidden to borrow something like that. Another example where we see actually an Old Testament prophet telling a widow to borrow is in Second Kings chapter 4, where there was a widow and she was in debt. And in that culture, if you couldn't pay your debts, then they began to sell everything you had off in order to pay those debts. 
And if the person that you owed wanted to be a stickler about this, they could even go into selling assets like your own children and even yourself into debtor's prison or slavery. So this was a serious thing. And so the widow came to the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 4, and she said, what order should I do? And Elisha said, what do you have in the house? And she said, the only thing I've got in the house is a pot of oil. And then he said, go out and borrow as many vessels that that you can find from your neighbors. Just have your kids and everybody go out and borrow as many of them as you can find. The miracle that God did for this woman is, if you may recall this, that she began to pour the oil into these different pots that she had borrowed, and the oil kept flowing until it filled every last vessel that she borrowed, and then she was able to sell that oil, pay off her debt, and live on the rest. Now, again, that's borrowing and being told to do so by God's prophet, clearly with God's blessing upon it. But is borrowing a risky thing that we ought to, as a general rule, be leery of? And I would submit to you absolutely yes. And so let me give you some verses that deal with this. First of all is Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's an interesting principle, isn't it? The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you had a a nice car that caught your eye, or pickup truck, or maybe it was whatever. Maybe it was a house that was a little bit beyond your means. And so you took out a loan in order to get this thing that you wanted, and quite frankly, you kind of regret that today. Now, maybe you like the car still, or maybe the house is nice to live in, but you're under pressure, and it feels like it's constant pressure just to meet those bills, to make sure you pay on time. Maybe some of you have gotten behind in that, and you know what I'm talking about, the, the pressure and the stress that you're under when you have a loan and you owe someone. Now, this is not only true that the borrower is servant to the lender of an individual, it's also true of a nation. So listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 44. It says, he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Now, he's talking about when God would take away his blessing upon the Israelite people because of their disobedience, and what's he saying? Your foreign neighbor is actually going to loan to you. You're not loaning to him, and he calls it, he'll be the head, and you'll be the tail. So the idea is you're the servant, because you're borrowing money. Here's an example, a couple verses. So I've got three here dealing with this truth, with the nation that goes into debt. Deuteronomy 15, verse 6 says, For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Now, isn't it interesting that again he connects being reigning over another nation and them owing you money? And of course, the opposite being true, the person that owes or the nation that owes money to another nation is like their servant. Here's a couple other verses. They're right together. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 12 and 13 says, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So 
we see this principle again, and that is the borrower is servant to the lender. Let me give you some other biblical teachings on lending, and that is God commanded his children to lend to the poor without interest. And before I, let me just, before I hop off the borrower issue, let me just talk to you about the fact that, honestly, our, our national debt, which is skyrocketing over the last, what, 50 years or better, it's really gotten rolling to the place where I believe we're the greatest debtor nation in the world. And yet we have a lot of prosperity, but going into debt as a nation is a sign of God taking away some of his blessing upon us. Now let's talk about biblical teachings concerning lending. And remember, God commanded his children, first of all, to lend to the poor and to do it without charging them interest. So if you got somebody, well, let me read you the verses. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lenderer to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now I want you to think about some of these companies uh, that make a lot of money off of short-term loans. And honestly, who are they typically serving? They're typically, well, I don't know if I call it serving. They're taking advantage of the poor people that really need the money. And so they're charging them quite a bit of interest for a very short period of time. They're making all kinds of money at it. And to be honest with you, they're taking advantage of people in their poverty. And so that's exactly what God says you're not to do. Listen to Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 37. You shall not lend him, you're talking about the poor person, your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a, a, at a profit. So he's saying, look, if a person's down and out, they need money for food, you don't charge them interest. Verse, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19, you shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. So when you have a poor person among you, one of the worst things you can do that God really d- despises is to help out, uh, to charge interest to a person who's already suffering yeah, because financially. Now, there's another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 7 down to verse 11, and that deals with this issue. What about when you are asked to loan some money to a poor person, and you honestly don't think you're ever going to get that money back? Well, listen to what is commanded by God to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'm starting at verse 7. It says, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. The idea of shut your hand means I'm not going to give him anything. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. Now, let me explain what he's talking about with that seventh year, the year of release. How the Jewish people did it was they had a, a certain a time period. It would be a seventh year, and there would also be the 50th year, called the Jubilee, when people's debts were to be forgiven. And so you were to let people go from the debts they owed you. So let's say you have a poor person in your neighborhood and he really is struggling to feed his family. Maybe he's got made some foolish decisions financially, and so he's really struggling. Or maybe it was a health issue. Maybe it was something that he really couldn't even control. 
But anyway, he comes to you and he says, look, I, I, you know, could you spare some money? I need some money to feed my family or whatever that need really, not just, you know, I want a car, but something that is necessary that that need is. And you're thinking to yourself, hey, this is six years and six months. It's like six months and from now, he won't even have to pay me at all. It's going to be released. And so you think to yourself, I'm never getting this money back. And so you make an excuse and you basically turn him down because, and you're doing it because it's a wise financial decision for you. And that is, I'm not going to lose this money. But now notice God said, don't do that. He said, I want you to help that poor guy, even if you know you're not getting it back. Listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11. It says, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Isn't that interesting? God says, you know what, if you'll do the right thing there, and it doesn't make sense financially for you, and that is, you're basically giving them the money, and you know that. You're not getting it back. And you'll give it anyway, because you know it's the right thing to do. This guy really does need to feed his family. It's not something he just wants. You know, it's not to keep his cable bill up. It's to keep food on the table. And you help him at that point. God says, I'm going to bless you in everything you do. I'm going to just put my blessing on you. So we're told when it comes to lending, first of all, lend to the poor without interest. Number two, help the poor without regard to getting repaid. Remember, a number of years ago, had a guy, and I, those of you who listened over the months have probably heard this, but he came to me, he was in financial problem, and I, I don't know the background of, of, to this day of what was going on. I do know this, that he was a good worker, and that although... I don't think he was a believer at that point in his life. He certainly was a, pe- a person who I thought wanted to be honest in character. I'm not saying he always was, but I think he he showed that as a as he was a conscientious person. He was trying to uh, be a good worker, and so he came to me one day and just said, "Hey, I'm I'm really in trouble financially." He said, "Is there any way you could spare me?" And I forget what it was three hundred bucks, five hundred bucks. I'm single at the time. I'm dating my future wife. And so I said, no, I'm not going to lend you any money, but I am going to do this. I'm going to give you the money. And I was thinking about passages like this, where sometimes when you loan people money, then they don't want to see it because they feel guilty. And I said, I don't want that. So I, I'm just going to give you the money. And oh, no, no, it's a loan. I said, no, I'm not going to give it to you in that regard. I'm going to give you the money. If you end up at some point wanting to pay me you know, give me some money back. That's great, but you do not owe me. You need to understand that you do not owe me any of this back. I'm giving you this as a gift. And it was interesting because exactly what I feared, I didn't know it at the time. I stopped working there. I was onto another job. Didn't see the man for a number of months, but one night he showed up at a Bible study I was running. And after the study was done, he came back and he wanted to give me that money in full. And he did. Uh, and he said to me, I didn't want to see you because I owed you this money. And I'm thinking that's exactly why I gave it to you in the first place. But anyway, he gave me the money and God, as God would have it, I, I, I did not, I forgot all about it, to be honest with you. I did not even remember that I'd given him that amount of money. And actually I used that to pay off my wife's uh, engagement ring and um, 
was able to ask her to marry me a, a, a few days later. But what's interesting is God tells us to do this. He said, I'll bless you if you'll do it. If by faith, you'll say, look, I, I don't need the money back. I'm going to help you out, and I don't care. That's God says, I'm going to bless you for that. Listen to also this idea of always showing respect for the poor. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you're always wrong to loan to somebody that there are times when it's legitimate that this person, you know, should pay you back, but I'm just saying that God tells us, don't worry if they don't. Let me take care of it. I'll, I'll bless you for it. But here's an illustration of when you're going to loan money to someone and they're going to give you what was called, in, at least in the Bible days, surety, or the idea that, that this is a, a guarantee that I'm going to pay you back. So listen to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 to 13. It says, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. Now, his pledge, again, is his guarantee he's going to pay you back. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. What's, the, what's God really saying? He's saying, don't be like going in there, I want this or I want that. Don't be that kind of person. Don't be the stickler who's going to hold this guy uh, you know, uh, with, by the throat unless he pays you. Don't be that guy. Show respect. Yeah, he's had hard times. Maybe foolish decisions. It may not have been. may have had nothing to do with bad decisions. Show respect. Verse 12, and if the poor man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down. Isn't that interesting? So now listen, the reason why I would say that is because you got to think that people in that society, they're, they're living on next to nothing. And so what's this guy going to come up with that he can give you as a guarantee? Often it would be his, one of his cloaks, one of his garments, and he may not have more than one. And so he, what God's saying here to the person that's better off, he's saying when you're loaning to somebody, he gives you like his garment for a pledge. He's that poor. He said, make sure before the night's done, you give it back to him. Listen to what he, he says again. He says, you shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you, and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. God's going to look at that and say, you know what? That guy was showing respect toward his poor neighbor. He was loving his neighbor the right way, and I'm going to honor him for that. And so there's another promise there. We're also told in the New Testament that we ought to have a helpful and a giving heart. And I'm going to give you two passages on this. The first one is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to look at verse 42. Uh, Jesus is kind of in the middle of this sermon, and listen to what he says. He says, it, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, let me just say this. It doesn't mean you can always give what they want you to give. Okay, There are people, and, and I know many of you have encountered them, who may be alcoholics, they're, they're battling drug addiction, and if you gave them money, you may in fact be furthering that addiction. And so you may feel, and were they good conscious? I can't give them that. But what can you give them? You can certainly give them prayer. You may be able to give them actual physical food or, or clothing or help them to find some shelter. We're not always told to give exactly what they want, but we should be giving something. We should be praying, thinking, God, what can I do to help this person? This is a person that matters to you, and so they matter to me. Listen to Luke chapter 6, Jesus again talking, 
And he says, and if you lend to those to whom, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. I'll read verse 36 as well. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Sometimes, you know, we're tempted to say, well, this person's getting what they deserve. So I'm not going to help them. Look, aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us that way? We'd all be in huge trouble. So you can be thankful, and so can I, that God doesn't hold us to that. Now, there are also times when we are to release a debt and just basically tell a person, nah, don't worry about paying me back. And so I'd like you to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 15. And again, you'll notice that a number of these commandments are in the Old Testament. And let's not write them off merely because they're in that section of the Scripture. This is what God thinks and how God wants us to look at our neighbors and people around us. So I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'm at verse 1. Says at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. That's why that guy was saying it's getting close to the seventh year, and that's why remember that previous passage. He's saying, I don't know if I want to loan to this guy because I'm not going to give it back. Verse two, and this is the form of the release: every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. So that was a specific law in the nation of Israel. And really what it tells us in the New Testament is that we ought to be willing at times to release people from their obligations to us as God would direct. And I think we need to be open to that. And as the Lord has told us here, be merciful, just like he is merciful. Now, in the also in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to give you another uh, a couple verses out of this is Matthew chapter 6 and verses 12 to 15. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, by the way, the release of a debt, this is really the idea behind forgiveness. And have you thought about that? Maybe you've been good with your money as far as you have been a person who is merciful toward the poor. But have you been merciful toward those who have a different type of debt against you? Maybe a debt of evil, a debt of sin. Have you been merciful to that person too? Loving your neighbor as yourself involves that, doesn't it? It's thinking, what would I want done for me if I was in that person's stead? What would I want done? Now, we also see when it comes to lending that a person who helps the poor shows godly character. In Psalm 112, verse 5, it says this, A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. So, You'll notice again this idea of trying to care about the poor and being willing to lend them money when they're in trouble. Here's uh, some other verses that show us that God is a special blessing for those who help the poor. Now, I've got several verses on this, and, and just think about this, that 
God may bless you in a special way if you're willing to be merciful and to bless other people and to really, truly love your neighbor as yourself. So here's one, a blessing on your children. Listen to this. It's Psalm 37, verse 26, talking about a, a person who's godly, a person who knows the Lord. It says, he is ever merciful and lends. His seed is blessed. That's his descendants. So actually, the descendants of this person are blessed because he was merciful and was willing to lend to people in their need. There's also a protection that God seems to give in times of trouble. And when I say seems, it's, it's what he actually states here. So listen to Psalm 41 and verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. And now what are some of these times of trouble that God might be speaking of? Well, the next two verses give us a couple of them. First one is a protection from your enemies. Psalm 41 verse 2, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Then listen to this. It's Psalm 41 and verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. There seems to be a blessing on the health of people that are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to care about the people around me who are poor. There's also a time when God says, I will repay you myself. You help out the poor, you're really lending to me. Now listen to this. It's Proverbs 19 and verse 17. This verse honestly has shaken my world over the last several years. It's Proverbs 19 verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. He is God. God will pay back what the, the person who is generous to the poor has given. So here's a person, you're saying, I'm never getting this money back. And I'm, but I know it's the right thing to do. I know it's what I would want done if I was in his stead. He's, he does have a need. And so you shell out and you help that person knowing or almost knowing that you're never going to get that money back. God says, you know what? You're lending to me at that point. I'm going to pay you back. I will bless you for what you've done. Now, let's go back and talk about some biblical teachings then concerning owing. Uh, what about when, so we've looked at, at borrowing, we've looked at lending. What about owing? Well, first of all, I am in debt to God. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. And that's in our text. Um, we see that, you know, owe no man anything but to love one another. Now, why do I love, why do I owe people love? Well, it's really coming back to my debt to God. I owe him honor, by the way, with my money. Because who gave me that money? Well, you can say, well, I earned it, Pastor. Well, yeah, but who gave you the ability to earn it? The idea is this, who gave you that mind? And who gave you maybe some parents that taught you how to work and gave you some good uh, instruction? Or maybe you had to go the other way and your parents really didn't teach you that, so you had to you had to kind of look at their example as a negative and, and turn that around. But in some way, God has been the one to give you the health, to give you the mental ability, to give you the physical ability, maybe to conquer, to do something, you had the strength to do it. And so are you looking at your finances as really something that God has given to you that you then can be responsible for like a caretaker for him? That's really where we're at. Listen to Malachi chapter 3. I'm starting at verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? 
in tithes and offerings. Tithes are what the, the Israelites would give like a 10% of their income toward the poor and helping out and toward the Lord in, in the temple. And so uh, they, by the way, gave a lot more than that. But he, God's saying, you're not giving back to me and you're robbing me. And you're actually robbing, obviously, your fellow man. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. It's talking about the temple, I believe, there. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that you will not he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine bear fruit for you in the field says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And I think one of the reasons why God has prospered the United States so abundantly financially over the years, you say, well, we're the world's greatest debtor nation now, and that, that I believe, is true. But you also have to factor in there, we still live at a standard of living in this country that's way beyond, above the average person on the planet not only in this generation, but but even more so if you go back into previous generations. We, we have it pretty good in this country. And I believe a lot of that is the result of people who were many of them were very wealthy and also were willing to give back much of their money toward other people, toward helping the poor, toward helping others around them. You have hospitals that have been built. You have uh, uh, all kinds of projects that have been done to bless people who are uh, le- less well off. And that is a good thing. Whether the person knows Christ or not, it's not going to get him into heaven, but it certainly is something that the Lord does appreciate and in, and will give some form of blessing back. I, I'm convinced of that person who is willing to give back. Uh, honesty in, in commitments uh, is is something that I owe God. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21 says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, it would be sin to you. So when we make a commitment to the Lord, we really have an, we owe him a debt to pay that back, to, to keep that commitment we've made. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says this, When you make a vow to God, do not defer to pay it, or do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Why? Because when we give our word to God, we need to keep that. And so we do have a debt to God, and we have a debt, by the way, that needs to be expressed in our forgiveness of other people. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told the story in response to a question that Peter had, and that was Peter's asking him, Lord, how often do I have to forgive someone? And so he came up with a figure seven times, and Jesus said, not until seven times, Peter. He said, till 70 times seven, which is basically saying, Peter, you just got to keep forgiving. And then he told this parable. He said there was a guy, and he owed, and it was like uh, 10,000 talents, which is an in, it'd be like the national debt. It's, it's that kind of figure where you're just way out there. You, there's no way you could do it in, in, a, in a thousand lifetimes. And he said, this guy owed 10,000 talents. And of course, in that day, what's going to happen if you got that kind of debt you're going to be thrown into prison. Everything you have is going to be sold, including your wife and your kids, and it's all going to be gone. And and you're never getting out till your debt is paid, which means that guy's going to live the rest of his life in prison. And so he falls down in front of the of the master that he owed, 
Remember, the borrower is servants of the lender. And he says, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, that doesn't even make sense. He's never going to pay that debt back. But in, despite the foolish thing that the guy said, the master had compassion on this guy and just forgave him the debt, said, well, uh, I'll, I'll let you go. Now, what's interesting, is, as Jesus tells this parable, is that same guy who just got forgiven this insurmountable debt goes out and he finds a guy who owes him a hundred days wage. Now, again, a hundred days wage is a third of a year's salary. That's a lot of money, but it's nothing compared to the the national debt that he owed. Anyway, this guy who owes him, a, a significant, let's say it's a $60,000 annual salary, so let's just say it's $20,000. He goes to this guy, he says, pay me what you owe. And the guy says, look, I if you'll just be patient with me, I will pay you all. Now, 20000 may be hard to pay, but it's at least doable. But as the, as the parable goes, this guy will not be merciful to the guy that owes him the $20,000. And he has him thrown in prison till he pays the debt. And when that happens, some of the other servants realized how unjust this was. And they went back to the master that was owed that huge sum and told him what one of his servants had done. He calls him back in, and now he says, nope, now the debt's not going to be forgiven. You are, you're you're going to be thrown in prison, and you're going to be under the, the torments until um, until you pay the debt. Now, what, what was Christ's point in this whole thing? And that was this, that you have been forgiven, if you're born again, by a child of God, by faith in Christ, if you truly have been born again, you have been forgiven all of your sins for your entire lifetime. You have been forgiven eternal hell. That's what Christ paid for you, that you could be born again. And how then can we turn around and not forgive someone who sinned against us? It means that we don't really appreciate God's forgiveness like that like servant didn't, obviously, appreciate the forgiveness he was given, it also means that we very well may not have truly even been forgiven. So wholehearted forgiveness, we owe that to people because of what God has done for us. So there's no such thing for the Christian as saying, well, I'm not going to forgive so-and-so. I'm going to go to my grave being angry with them. I'm never going to forgive them. Well, you can go ahead and do that, but I'm, I'm questioning whether you truly know God, because the reality is if you truly understand your forgiveness, you get it. You should get it that I owe this to this person because of how good God has been to me. Now, there's also a, another characteristic, a teaching on owing in the Bible, and that is there is great fear associated with being unable to pay your debts. You found that in that first Kings, or the second Kings 4 passage where the woke widow was going to have everything sold. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be if your own children are going to be sold out from under you? Uh, or another example of this is Proverbs twenty-two twenty-seven, which where Solomon is exhorting his son, if you have nothing to, with which to pay, this is what his son was tempted to be a cosigner. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? So don't put yourself in a spot where you can actually be in danger of losing very uh, vital uh, possessions like your own bed. And so there is a lot of, of fear that can be associated with debts that you can't pay. I remember years ago, my grandfather had a lime business, and, and because people were not paying their bills to him, now he was unable to pay his bills 
that he owed for the lime, and eventually his business went under. It, as a result of that stress, I believe is why he had a heart attack in his 50s and um, ended up dying in his early 70s. I'm, I'm very much convinced that, that that stress of not being able to pay what he owed was very, uh, very detrimental to his health. So there is this idea that um, owing is a, is a fearful thing when you can't pay. So what does it mean then to owe love to others? Because the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, I am a debtor to all men. Isn't that interesting? Like I, he's saying, I feel like I owe everybody. And he's saying, well, what does Paul feel like? Why does he feel like he owes everybody? He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, which would be the, the, the uncultured peoples of the world both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul was saying, I feel a debt to share the gospel with people because God has loves the world and he loves them too, just like he loves me. And they need to know how they can become children of God. So Christ loves me, and he wants me to pass on his love to other people. That's how the Christian should feel who truly knows Christ as Savior. And that means passing on God's love for people, whether they be just or unjust, whether they're wise or unwise, whether they're cultured or uncultured. Now, why is this command so important then, to owe no man anything but to love one another? Well, because actually the, the Ten Commandments are surrounding this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. Let me read to you again verse 9 and 10. It says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, many of you may already know that the Ten Commandments have often been broken into two tables um, in people's minds. And so they have the, the commandments, uh, table one are the commandments surrounding your love for God. And they would be no other gods before you, before, before the true God, no graven images, which means don't create your own God. Number three, don't take God's name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day, have that time of rest and hopefully worship in, the time, in, your, in your week. Then there's also commandments concerning your love for your neighbor. These are the ones that Paul's focusing in on because we're talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so he brings up five of the remaining six commandments. The one he doesn't bring up, by the way, is the one to um, honor your parents, which could have been used, obviously, but he doesn't feel led to do that. So let's talk about the other five. First one is do not commit adultery. So it is a sin to take your neighbor's spouse. It's also wrong to entertain disloyalty toward your own spouse. Why? Because if I'm taking somebody else's spouse, I'm not doing what's in the best interest of either one of those two. Of, of let's say I'm a man, I want to take some woman who's married to another man, I'm not thinking about her husband, and I'm really not thinking about her, because I'm going to cause her to sin against her vows, a sacred pledge that she made before God. God is the ultimate owner of marriage. And, and, and so when you say, Till death do us part, God expects you to keep that vow. Remember how he says, don't vow if you're not going to keep it. Make sure that you don't delay in paying. That's something that you owe me is to keep your word. So I'm not helping this woman that I'm 
trying to take from her husband. I'm certainly not thinking of the man. And you know who else I'm not thinking about so many times are the children. How are they going to be affected? How are they going to be negatively impacted? And of course, there's many others that are they're not even thought about when we're thinking about taking someone else's spouse. Now, why is it wrong to, say, be involved in pornography or some other um, uh, way of a form of uh, entertaining disloyalty towards your spouse? Well, because you're not loving your, your mate. Your mate wouldn't want that. And so you're not loving him or her. He said, do not murder. Obviously, I don't want to take somebody else's life. Why do people murder? Out of malice. And we'll talk about that in just a moment here. But malice, obviously, being angry with somebody, wishing them harm, wanting to hurt them, is not loving your neighbor as yourself. Do not steal. Well, why, why do we steal? Well, people steal because they want something that belongs to, some, that belongs to someone else. It's really the, the root of stealing is covetousness. It's wanting something for myself that belongs to somebody else. But if I love my neighbor as myself, I should be good with, God, with what God has given to my neighbor. If I love my neighbor as myself, I should be good with the fact that uh, that my neighbor has this woman that maybe I'm attracted to, but she's his spouse. And I should be good with that if I love my neighbor as myself. If my neighbor has a nicer house, if, if he's got smarter kids, if he's got a better car, I if I love my neighbor as myself, I should be good with that. We're also told not to lie. Again, why is it wrong to lie? Because do you want people lying to you or do you want people telling you the truth? You know, when you lie to somebody, you're really saying, I can't trust you with the truth. And sometimes you're tempted, well, so-and-so, you know, she doesn't want me to, or he doesn't want me to, to really tell them the truth. Well, honestly, do you want people not telling you the truth? You want people lying to you? That doesn't make any sense, does it? No. So loving your neighbor as yourself means I don't lie. Number five means I don't covet what they have. And uh, by the way, the, um, this idea of coveting as two internal problems that are really associated with the first one is being ungrateful for what God has given me. You know, okay, I may not have as fast a car or as beautiful a car as my neighbor, but am I thankful for the car that God gave me? Am I, do I appreciate that? So unthankfulness, ingratitude is one of the problems with coveting, and the other one is not loving my neighbor as myself, because I should be good with the fact that God has blessed them. That's, I should be cheering that on. That's great. Wonderful. I'm glad that you have a blessing from the Lord. Now, there's also two general principles then that come out of this law. One is that love does no harm to your neighbor. And so uh, let me just give you some spots where that can really get twisted around in our minds. Let's say your coworker gets the promotion that you felt you deserved. Well, if you love your coworker as yourself, and that's part of your neighbor, coworker is one of your neighbors. If you love your coworker as yourself, are you good with the fact that they got the promotion over you? Is that okay? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. How about your the woman you work with is more attractive and more noticed than you are? So she's getting the, you're maybe you're single, and she's getting the, the invitations to go out on dates, and, and everybody's paying, paying special attention to her. And if you're just honest with yourself, you're saying, well, she's more attractive than I am. Are you good with that? If you love your neighbor as yourself, then, hey, God blessed her with good looks. That's fine. How about when your child is not as athletic, or maybe he's not the scholar or the musician of some other parent that you know? Are you good with that? Is it okay 
if their child got the academic award and maybe got the scholarship or their child is the leading scorer and, or your, their child made the team and your child didn't, are you okay with that? Is it? That's what loving your neighbor as yourself is all about. What about if you're a student and clearly you're not the teacher's favorite, somebody else is? You know, we typically do not have an issue with envy in an area in which another person maybe is better than us or passes us up if that area is not significant to us. But if a person is blessed beyond us in an area in which we take pride or use to evaluate our self-worth, envy can really be a struggle. There was a, a preacher by the name of F.B. Meyer, godly man. He held meetings in Northfield, Massachusetts for a number of, of, of years up there. Uh, with D.L. Moody, actually, with a great evangelist, the U.S. evangelist. And large crowds used to throng to hear him. And then there came another great British Bible teacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan to the same conference grounds, and they would be there at the same time. And you know what was interesting? People soon were flocking more to hear G. Campbell Morgan than they were to F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer was an honest and and good-hearted Christian, and, you know, he's confessing to people around him, you know, I'm struggling with envy, and I need to pray about this. And you know what he said? He said, the only way I conquer my feelings of envy is to pray for G. Campbell Morgan every day, which I do. And I thought that was a great thing, that here's a guy, and he's struggling with loving his neighbor as himself, and yet he's wise enough to, to, to see that, to admit that, and to take some action to to deal with that. And you know what he did? He began to pray for him, began to love, actively love his neighbor by praying for him, and that gave him victory. You know, clearly there are many examples in the Scripture about this problem of envy and how it leads to a, uh, one of two things, that, and actually many times both, a critical spirit where you're looking for faults in the person that you're envious of, and the spirit of malice where you want to humble that person, you want to bring him or her down to size. Maybe even you want to do them ill, harm. So some examples, Joseph, clearly the favorite of his father in a home with four different uh, wives and mothers, and clearly was of great character, of responsibilities, the kind of guy that was just squeaky clean, and the rest of his brothers really struggled with envy. Same thing when, when David is up and rising in the nation of Israel, become their second and their greatest king. And Saul, who was the king at the time, when David's a young man, he sees all the, the accolades and the, and the popularity going to this young fellow David, and God had said, I'm going to replace you with someone who is better than you, and that was David. And Saul st struggled for the entire rest of his life with envy for this man. Daniel, you know why he's thrown in the lion's den? Because he was such a good and honest worker that the king of, of Persia, or maybe he was a kind of an acting general in the Babylon era, his name was Darius, he is advancing Daniel, he clearly favors Daniel, and Daniel's a good and godly and honest man, and that's exactly why they went after him, his, his co-workers went after him, because they envied him. It's interesting that when Jesus was brought to, Pilate, to Pontius Pilate, you know what Pilate realized as, as this was happening, he was brought before him because of envy. The Gospel of Luke tells us that. So this idea of a critical spirit or spirit of malice rises out of a heart that does not love my neighbor as myself.
And we also see that if we'll just fulfill this requirement of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're actually following God's law. But I will tell you this, you won't do this on your own. You're going to need the love of God running through your heart and causing you to win this battle because we are, we're just so tempted to put others before ourselves. Now, let's just get, wrap this up with some conclusions. Number one, generosity, kindness, and respect for the poor are commanded by God. We saw that. Also, borrowing is risky, and it makes you a servant to the person who loaned you the money. And so I'd really encourage you to think about, especially of those of you who are young and just getting started out, you might want to rethink the idea of getting that new pickup truck or buying that expensive house and you're just newly married. A lot of times financial issues separate couples. Be careful about getting into a lot of debt. Number three, owing a debt you cannot pay is extremely stressful and truly dangerous. Number four, because of Christ's sacrificial love for me, I owe love to the world. And that's how you ought to feel if you're born again. Why? Because I I owe Jesus love because of all he's done for me. And when I love others, I demonstrate Jesus' love for them, which is what he wants me to do. He loves it when I show his love to other people. And so this blesses Christ. It blesses the person whom I love. It blesses me. God says, I'll bless you back for showing the kind of love your neighbor as yourself attitude by giving and helping and showing compassion for people. And when I love God's neighbor, my neighbor as myself, I fulfill God's holy law. So just um, a couple ideas to, as we finish this out. Number one is to pay the bills you owe on time for Christ's sake. If you're going to have debt, really work at paying those debts off and pay them on time, and if you can, ahead of time. Number two, strive to be free from the care of debt as much as you can. But never forget, that the debt you owe to God and your fellow man, you owe it because of what Christ has done to save you. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his payment of my sin debt, I owe a debt to him and to humanity that he loves. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. May God help us this year to love our neighbors as ourselves. May the Lord bless you. If you would like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, feel free to contact us through our website. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Everlasting life and light, he frees.